0: It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit Ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Levy. Well, welcome to the Sunday edition of Daily Thunder. This is our equivalent of a small church service uh, every Sunday morning. We do this every morning of the week, for those of you that probably know that. Uh, but our Sunday edition, of course, most people just think of church being Sunday. So as a result, it's, uh, we have a service here on Sunday, uh, even though we have a service here every morning. And it's been a delight. We started doing that back in March, I believe, of this year. And I've uh, been doing it all throughout the year so far. And I tell you what, it is a very, very enriching thing. One of our thoughts was our desire is with this campus and with the ministry we have here to be what we call a defibrillator. Uh, it's a hard word to say. Uh, if you say it really fast multiple times, it comes out funny. Uh, and But our desire is that we would be able to uh, be a place where people could come and, and be rejuvenated, uh, be strengthened, uh, because there's so many things that are happening in this life that deaden us, and it's just the way the culture is set up. The culture is set up to deaden the Christian, Uh, and we live in hostile territory, and as a result, we need fresh strengthening uh, at times, and I always want you to feel welcome. For those of you that are in town for the uh, Marriage and Motherhood Conference, I just want you guys to know that it is our desire to serve you and in whatever way we can to give strength. Uh, so I, have, I always title my messages, and this one is called, When Uzziah Dies. And that's going to hearken back to Isaiah 6, for those of you that are familiar with it. It is a key passage in Scripture that many of us know and have heard in various ways. We have various worship songs that flow out of this exact uh, uh, selection of verses in the Bible. But this is going to mean something very specific. Uh, Uzziah uh, is going to become a symbol of something in how we want to discuss this today. And that is, in a sense, our previous life, or the life that has begun to slide. Because you could uh, look at Uzziah in a couple different lights. You could look at him as one who is living in sin, or you could look at him as one who had the life and then let it slip through his fingers, uh, so to speak. And as a result, he, something has gone wrong. And Uzziah is uh, a sad symbol in scripture. King Uzziah, it's funny, his name uh, is uh, sort of humorous to me, actually, when I ponder. And I wish I knew a little better the Hebrew and the Hebrew naming systems to be able to uh, fully uh, laugh out loud at it. But I just have my version of, of laughter with it. Because his full name is Azariah, and, but sort of like a nickname. You know, like how William becomes Bob? Uh, this is like King Bob. Uzziah is the Bob version. Uh, have you ever had that, like, Charles becomes Chuck? What is I mean, I see the C-H, but William Bob. I mean, where does that come from? B-O-B? How does that tie in with William at all? That's sort of like this. I mean, if you look at the two names, you see a Z, Uh, that's similar, but Uzziah and Azariah, I guess, I mean, there's some similarities there, more than Bob and William. But who was he? He's the 11th king of Judah, crowned in 783 BC. So in this uh, season of uh, Jewish history, what you see is a split kingdom. So you have Saul, the first king, you have David, the second king, you have Solomon, the third king, and then things begin to go a little dicey. And then we have a split kingdom from that point forward where you have the northern kingdom, which is full of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, their capital city is Samaria. And uh, the, the lower uh, land is known as the uh, kingdom of Judah. And that is made up of two tribes, which is Judah and Benjamin. And Jesus is going to come out of the lineage of Judah, the Judean kings. And so in the northern realms, the 10 kings, uh, the, I'm sorry, the 10 tribes... There was never a king out of all of that lineage in the tribes of Israel that was a good king and that did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the kingdom of Judah, we have a handful. We also have a, hand, we have a lot, more than a handful, that did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's just a lot of bad kings in the history of Israel and Judah. And so this is the 11th king, and he, if you look at his, the name, meaning of his name, the Lord is my strength, we have to assume he's going to be a good king. Uh, so his early reign the bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the lord oh that's wonderful and it's a rare sighting to get that statement in scripture that a king actually does that which is right in the eyes of the lord however something is going to go terribly wrong in this man's life his later reign the bible says his heart was lifted up to his destruction that doesn't sound good he brazenly invaded the priest's office and offered incense he walks into the temple, and offers incense. Uh, This is the ultimate no-no. Against the clear warning of the priesthood, and was struck with leprosy while in the midst of his disobedient act. So even as he is doing it, he is struck with leprosy. He lived his remaining days in a several house, which is a hospital, and died there, and he was buried in a lonely grave. Boy, what a sad story, and you're thinking, well, I was coming here for a little encouragement today, Eric. What is that? So the sad life of King Uzziah, he had something, but he lost it. So as Christians, our desire is to not pull up Uzziah. Our desire is to go the distance and to persevere until the end. And so that's why this teaching is rather profound, because it's going to, in a sense, show us that symbol of the life. We all have the propensity to do what Uzziah did, in other words, you've, you know what it's like to be red-hot spiritually, to be sensitive to His Spirit, to have a hunger for the Word of God, to want to spend time in His presence, and then suddenly you don't have that same desire. It was interesting. There was an article uh, that I was reading uh, on shoplifting uh, today in supermarkets, and uh, rather disturbing, actually, but it was fascinating. Because of the self-checkout, uh, here's the statement. People that would not normally steal are being emboldened to steal. That doesn't sound healthy. Uh, Because they have an anonymity to a self-checkout system. And so as a result, shoplifting in stores has skyrocketed. And uh, it's, it's disturbing to hear, but that's sort of like the modern church. There's something that's happening. There's more of an anonymity in the church because the church has lost its intimacy, even amongst itself. Where we have you know, digital church uh, concepts as opposed to people church. when When you have someone checking you out, there's an accountability, there's a person there. And as a result, you're likely not going to take something, hide it, and stick it in your own bag and go, ha-ha. But when no one is watching, it is weird how you have a tendency towards the worst. Now, that's a statement that shouldn't be true about any of us as Christians. But obviously, many of us that are students of humanity understand how this can happen if you've ever driven down the road uh and you recognize how people drive in traffic as opposed to how they live and walk down the sidewalk and in traffic you feel an anonymity and i don't i mean i could look inside their window and see them i'm not exactly sure if they think i'll never see him again what, what is the thought per, that this person has you know that one of my pet peeves if someone told me the other day it's probably not good to just have a whole bunch of pet peeves but It has been a pet peeve, and maybe I need to get rid of it. But uh, you're driving down the road, and it's going from two lanes into one or three lanes into two, and so everyone's getting over. And my principal, I've taught my kids, the moment you see that you need to get over, that your lane is closing, you immediately put on your blinker. That's how you show respect. Well, there are those turkeys out there. (laughs) And uh, there could be some of those turkeys right in here that have been hiding in the anonymity of their car (laughs) that will zoom all the way to the end, put on their blinker, right, and be like, hey, hey, let me in oh those turkeys so there are little factors that can play into the development of our spiritual life or the breakdown of our spiritual life and as you arrive here this morning we could talk about a sharpness that you have had and a lot of us have a tendency to look back and go oh, i just want to be like i was back here and you know christianity doesn't go in reverse it goes forward and so but what we're inspired by is that we know that there's a closeness and we know we used to have it. And so I want us to freshly press forward today with that yearning, to recognize that that is a spirit yearning. It is not just a human yearning for closeness and intimacy with God, for rightness with God. It is something that his spirit sponsors, and so that if you have that desire, it is because God Has that desire first. He's the one sponsoring it in you, which is one of the most exciting thoughts because when you recognize that God is sponsoring something like that in you, that means it's not too late. And that also means that you're gonna find it if you pursue it. It's like he stands on the other side of the door and says, Knock, I will open. Knock, please, knock. That's exactly what that instinct is inside of you. So if there's a greater hunger that you have or a a desire that you have for a depth of intimacy, even an intimacy you've never had, but a depth of intimacy you know is possible. That is from the Holy Spirit. Go after it. Uzziah was the picture of the entire nation he ruled. They were a people who once had the strength of God. I mean, it's the land of Judah, right? I mean, the King, King David ruled over this land. I mean, they've had some great kings uh, throughout that time. Jos- Josiah, uh, I mean, Hezekiah, I mean, some great kings, but they've lost something. They were a people who once had the strength of God, but had backslidden, and were now in need of a revival. Well, that might not be all that different from some of us in here. You see, you can have something and lose it. The great woe, lo go. So this comes from uh, Leonard Ravenhill, and the reason I actually am sticking this message in this, you know, some of you just happen to be in town, but... We were going through a, a t- training this week in the advanced class on prayer and revival. And my message for Friday was going to be about the woe logo. Okay, So I figured, you know what, I'll still get this to these advanced students. So you guys get to listen in. I'm giving a little different r- uh, rendition of it. But Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite uh, guys, he was, he's spoken on revival maybe more than anyone I, I know. And he's no longer with us. He's, he passed away. But uh, just a great man, and when he talks about Isaiah 6, he talks about the woe, lo, go. Uh, and so it stirred me, because when I would, I've heard various interviews with him where he'll just whip it out, you know, woe and low and go. And so we're going to go into that uh, here, because it's right in this context of Uzziah. So I'm going to read it, Isaiah 6, 1 through 9. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe! is me. By the way, that woe is underlined uh, just so you won't miss it. But there are going to be some that are listening to this on the podcast. Woe is me. Okay? So remember, this is the woe logo. So I'm, I'm putting a puzzle piece in there, guys. You need to catch it. Don't miss it. It's underlined for you. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, I paused for emphasis here, Lo, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go a little extra pause there i just want you to catch it right and tell this people so i'm, I'm guessing you saw it because i went out of my way to help you see it Woe, low and go and it's so funny because whenever leonard ravenhill will talk about it, he'll just whip it out he'll just say it sort of like it's common knowledge to all of us and i would always be like shocks like that is so profound that is amazing most of us don't use the word woe very often i mean if we do it's w-h-o-a and so it's not the same. And then we don't usually say low. Okay, so this isn't norm- normal uh, English vernacular in our modern day. However, it's pretty profound here packaged in Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, let me just summarize it all. whoa, lo, go. So something is taking place. It's interesting that this statement is made at the very beginning, and that is in the year that King Uzziah died. You see, when that backsliding ceases... When that compromise stops, I remember one uh, leader uh, saying, said, Eric, one of the things I'm always uh, telling to my people is if you find that you're stagnant and you're not going anywhere, go back to your last point of obedience that you knew you were supposed to do and just start afresh. It's like, you know what? That's a pretty profound statement. You see, some of us know that we got off track somewhere, sort of like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. He, he decided to take an easier route or a shorter route, and he just got off. So what does he need to do? He needs to return to that place where he got off. And then let's just start walking afresh right there. Do you remember that one moment when you decided to go in a little different direction than you knew God was wanting you to do, or you hardened to what you knew God was asking of you? Let's go back right there, and let's start afresh. So in the year that that happens in the year that you get rid of the old backslider inside of you in the year that you get rid of the rebellious the one that's like hey god i want to live life on my terms your terms are too heavy for me too weighty for me in the year that you finally get rid of that whoa lo go so first the rebellious throne sitter must die so one of the terms i'll oftentimes use for it since he's a king he's a throne sitter and just like saul Saul was rejected as king. Your first life is rejected just like Saul. See, there's always twos in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that. There's always twos in Scripture. You have a firstborn, and you have a secondborn. And the firstborn cannot please God. It's the secondborn that pleases God. And so, all the way from the early stories in the Bible of Cain and Abel, Abel's offering pleases God, Cain's doesn't. So then you have Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Saul, David. But there's a whole bunch in the Bible. In the New Testament, we see flesh, spirit. Jesus says, You must be born again. You must not be a firstborn. You must be a secondborn or the twice born. And it's the twice born that can please God. You see, you're like Saul and you're seated on your throne. You're like, This is my kingdom. I will do with it what I want. And the priesthood counsels you and says, Don't do that. Don't do that. That'll lead to death. And when you continue forward in that rebellion, it destroys your life. But when you humble yourself and you believe in the second, you come and he washes you whiter than snow. He gives you a fresh new beginning. So first the rebellious throne sitter must die. Then the vision comes. Now, I made vision capital because that's the way I'm going to treat it in this. There's a vision here, and it's a vision that you need as well. You need to see something in your life. You need to have something before you that is more grand than what is being sold to you out there in North American Christianity. You have to see the grandness of what God intends for your life. You need to see who he is. And then the woe, lo, go unfolds. So let's look at the woe and the lo and the go. Woe, I am unclean. You see, when you see the vision I don't know if you, you know what that vision is, I'm going to go into it, but I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. See, what's he seeing? He's seen God, yes, and I'm going to get more specific than even that, high and lifted up, who God actually is. Many of us have a very earthly understanding of God, which is why we need the vision, We need to see how grand God is. And when you do see God in his holy, holy holiness, it's interesting. But the first response is the same as what you see for Isaiah. I am unclean. I am not like him. You know what holy is, is other than. So I am other than that holy God. He's holy, I'm not. He's holy, I'm not. He's really holy. I'm really not holy. And so what it does is it leads you to an understanding of your uncleanness, which at first sounds like a very negative thing, doesn't it? I mean, to see your uncleanness, I mean, come on, how uncomfortable and unsavory is that? And yet, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to show you your uncleanness. That's what the law was given for us. It was a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. Because why would you ask for Christ if you thought you were fine? Why would you need a savior if you thought you were fine? Why would you need to be saved from your sin if you didn't think you had any sin? But the reason the law is given is to tutor our soul to show us our need of a savior. And so there's nothing quite like the holy holiness of God. You need to invite it into your life. If you have an opportunity to see this grand vision, please open your eyes and see it, even though the first result is a pang. It's a pang of conviction. God, I am a sinner. The way i've been living is wrong the way i've been thinking is wrong the way i have been doing life is not your way which leads to the low well, I, had a, I had a parenthetical statement there his holiness reveals my unholiness Lo, your sin is purged so with the low statement you have this seraphim who's grabbing a coal from the altar and bringing it up and touching his lips which is purging. So your sin is purged. So this is an amazing thought, but when you see the vision, what do you see? You see God Almighty in all of his holiness, and it shows your sinfulness. But when you see Jesus, when you see God Almighty in his rightful place, you don't just see holiness. You see holy love. If you look closely at his hands, at his feet and at his sides, you're going to see wounds. You see, with his very sufferings, though he is a holy, holy, holy God, he has removed your sin from you. And that's low. It's an amazing thought because that's not, low doesn't mean low, like in height, high, low. But it is an amazing thought to think that that, so here's what we do. We go, whoa, you came low. And you actually begin to understand what low is. It's, woe. he came low. He came low and washed our feet and cleansed us from all iniquity. That is remarkable. You see, if you're not seeing this vision, you remain the same. Stuck in your Uzziah state. Dying in a several house from leprosy. You see, we need to be saved from that. But to be saved from that, you first must catch the vision. What is the vision? Well, it's his highness and that that highness came low. It took on lowness so that it could wash us. Woe, lo. Now what happens when you recognize that your sin is purged? He has removed my sin and made me fit to be a glory bearer. He has removed my sin. He has clothed me in royal garments. There has, it's himself. And he has brought me home to be with him. He has made me sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then I overhear the whisperings. See, I'm brought near, right? I'm in the holy, holy, holy theater here. I'm in the very presence of God who will go for us. You see, there's a need, there's a burden in the heart of God. And us is capitalized. It's like the Holy Trinity talking to themselves. Who will go? And of course, now you've been brought near. You're like, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I am such a weak vessel. I don't know why you'd want to send me, but please, here I am. Send me. You see, what happens when you see the highness of God and you understand that he came low and washed your feet, you know what it leads to? I will go. It leads to the go. Whoa, low, go. Isn't that amazing? I wish I came up with it. Wouldn't that be incredible if I could say, yeah, and I came up with that? Oh, but I can't. Whoa, low, go. This people must know. There's a lot of good rhyming going on here. This people must know he has chosen me as his vessel to share this vision. So what is the vision? It's the Lord high and lifted up. Now many of us when we think of Jesus, we think of him having a beginning in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit conceives in the womb of Mary and there's Jesus. And we fail to realize that the Bible is very clear that his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That the one who is actually in Mary's womb is God Almighty. And God didn't begin in Mary's womb. And we also know that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. <laughs> you can read the New Testament and see it. The clearest, well, I shouldn't even say the clearest. One of the clearest is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the Word was God. And it's going to go on to say that he created all things, right? I mean, this is like the Word, Jesus, that was in the womb of Mary, is God? And he has no beginning nor ending. And he created the heavens and the earth. That means he's a character in the Old Testament. Isn't that a strange thought? In other words, he was around the whole time. What do you think he was doing? Hiding behind corners? Don't let him see me. He is the word of God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the Lord high and lifted up. So what we have is an incredible statement. John, the book of John, or the gospel of John, seems to go out of its way. It's the fourth gospel written. It's written written way after the other three gospels. And I would say one of the main driving thrusts, if not the primary thrust of John, is to deal with the niggling arguments that are coming against the person of Jesus Christ trying to diminish his deity, his godness. Because John is going to go out of his way to establish it with period and exclamation mark and whatever, you know, underline and highlighter and everything else that he could posit- bold text, to say, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. He's going to give out the I am statements of who Jesus is. He is going to clarify that he is, in fact, Jehovah God, come to this earth in the flesh. That's why he starts his book the way he does. So what we see is a reference to this very thing that we're talking about in Isaiah. And it's speaking about Jesus right here. Listen. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory. These things said Isaiah when he saw Christ's glory. Isaiah hey, Isaiah was 750 years before Jesus when he saw his glory and spoke of him. In other words, what we see in Isaiah 6 is the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's the glory of the Lord. Yes, it's the glory of God, but that's Jesus So what we have is an incredible statement here that we are seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. The vision is, was for Isaiah, is for us today, and always will be for all eternity. You could read Revelation and check me on that. It's Jesus, high and lifted up. In the midst of the throne, there's a a great statement in in the Greek, it's onamesos, when it talks about the lamb in the midst of the throne. It says, in the middle of the middle is the idea. In the middle of the middle of all authority is this lamb that was slain. The vision is Jesus. He is the one Isaiah saw. He is the same one we must see. There's something very, very special about what Isaiah is seeing. And have you ever heard Christians, whether it's in biographies or even today that will say something like, I saw the cross. I saw the resurrection. It's like sort of an obscure statement. It's more old-fashioned and old-school than it is today. So there's old old school statements that are really good if we could bring them back, but they don't translate the same way. Like, for instance, when you hear that, you're like, "What what do you mean by that? But what they meant by that was it was revealed to them supernaturally. They saw the cross now not maybe even in a vision they just saw it by faith they know god almighty came to this earth he humbled himself he became obedient to death on a cross and that was for me and they see it with the eyes of their soul it's like they're ignited in faith that was for me he did that and they believe and then you'll hear someone say something like i saw the resurrection i see it What do they mean by that? They actually have the audacity of soul to believe that this one who died rose again. And they know that they know that they know that it happened. It's like, were you a personal witness to this? Did you see the stone rolled away? No, but I might as well have been because the Holy Spirit is testifying to my soul. I know it to be true. You see, the Holy Spirit, one of the things Dan McConaughey once said to us is the old school way of talking about conviction was convincing He said, the Holy Spirit is the great convincer. He brings a full assurance to our soul. You know it to be true, don't you, Eric? I do. How do I know it, though? Because I'm convincing you of it. I was there. I am a witness of it. You see, the Holy Spirit, though Jesus hung on the cross as a criminal, I know he was innocent. How how does Eric have such confidence that that man on that cross 2,000 years ago was not a criminal? I mean, come on. And yet i know it i know that i know that i know that i know it i am convinced in the perfect sacrifice of jesus christ i am convinced that that stone was rolled away on the third day have you ever heard someone say i i saw it he's i saw him seated at the right hand of the father in other words you know his authoritative position You know he's not just laying in a grave. You know he's resurrected. You know he's not just some citizen in heaven. He is the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to to the glory of God the Father. I know it. Do you know it? Have you seen it? Eric Ludi has seen the cross. I have seen the resurrected Christ in the empty tomb. I have seen a highly exalted son of God seated at the right hand of majesty i have and as a result the woe has struck me i have been struck dumb by his presence by his glory and i have recognized that he came low and cleansed me of my sin i am forgiven i am healed i have been regenerated by his Holy Spirit, and I've been lifted up in Christ Jesus to take a seat in heavenly places in Christ. Therefore, where he is, I am. I know it. And it starts with the vision, the scene. But what are we seeing? We're seeing Jesus. So here's, I'm going to just give the same scripture from four different translations. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, when you read that, most of us have, you know, so when there's no purpose statement for the, for the business, uh, you know, we cannot live. If I don't know what I'm getting up for in the morning, I can't function. And that's correct. But that would be small v or lowercase v vision, okay? And it actually, it matters. Lowercase v vision has a similar impact if you don't have it. But I'm going to tell you about something that's even greater, and that's capital V vision. If you have capital V vision, your lowercase vision just sort of follows along. If you don't have capital V vision, you're going to be struggling for your entire life to uphold this lowercase v vision and try and make your life feel like it matters. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Without a vision, you see how Young's Literal actual, ca- actually capitalizes it? Where's, without a vision is a people made naked. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. You see, you need something. You need a vision, and I don't just mean you need to know that you're important and you, you, you know you, your job matters. You know you, you're stocking shelves at King Supers down the road here, and you're, you're, you're valuable to Jesus. You know that helps. Don't don't get me wrong, but you're going to languish if if you're living that small. You need to understand the grandness of who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ has done. But not just that, what He's done for you. Because when you see it for you, it's not a selfish thing, it's gonna transform you to recognize that he also sees, he did that for that guy. That guy who's mocking you and making fun of you because you're a Christian. He loves him. And so you find yourself strangely transformed by the woe, lo, go. I need to go and tell that person. And so you become a living picture of what you saw in the heavenly realms. You're moved by it. You're changed by it. Let's marvel at the vision. Okay, we're going to read it again. You know, very rarely in church do you go through an entire scripture passage like that and then come back to it and read the whole thing. We're going to do that. Doesn't that sound fun? I want you to soak it up. I want you to recognize that this is what God wants to bring you into. In the year that King Uzziah dies, when you finally just let go of the slumberous you, When you say, you know what, I'm not going to justify this anymore. I'm not going to make excuses for why I'm living the way I'm living. I'm in. Fully in. He deserves it. He's worthy. Take me, Lord Jesus. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, now don't forget who we're talking about here. Do you see the nail wounds in this Lord that is high and lifted up? Do you recognize? He was high and lifted up before he came to this earth. But then he came to this earth as our high priest. And as our high priest, we are now brought in. He identified in our sufferings. We identify in his works. And as a result, we go where he goes. And as the high priest, he returns into the Holy of Holies with his own blood as the offering, sprinkling it upon the mercy seat. And then he is welcomed into the presence and he is given all authority at the right hand of majesty. Do you see who this is? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, lo, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I'm going to read that again, just because I want you to enter into this scene and to recognize that our God has made provision for your sin, that he has done precisely what was required. Lo, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. You see, you will know that you're seeing something when those words start popping out of your mouth. Here am I. Send me. That's not normal English for it. We don't say here am I. We say here I am. But there's something poetic about it. Old-fashioned Christianity. Here am I. That's what Moses says. Here am I. That's what Isaiah says. Here am I. So as a result, it sort of feels extra special when you say it that way, even though it's not the way we speak. Here am I. Send me. God, if you have a job for this body, I say yes and I agree with it. And I want you to take me wherever you want to take me. I want you to do with me whatever you want to do with me. You need someone to go. I've seen the woe. I've encountered the low. God, now I want to go. You see, when we're coming up with a thousand excuses why we don't need to go, something's wrong. We're not seeing the vision. You see, what it says is a people that does not have a vision, they're casting off restraint. They don't want a harness on them. They don't want something that's going to steer them and turn them. They don't have the vision. But when you have the vision, it's like, God, put a harness on me. I want to go where you, the master horseman, want to take me. I only want to do what you do. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. Without you, I am nothing. Please. I've seen it, Lord. I've seen you high and lifted up. I know you are deserving. I know you're worthy. Take what you purchased on the cross. It's me, Lord. Have me. Use me. Send me. The danger of the counterfeit vision. Beware the alternates king that may try to steal Christ's place. It's really weird how this happens. But there's different things that try and sit. Even in the church, on that throne, and they become the vision of the church. We see correct doctrine high and lifted up. You know the correct doctrine is extremely important, but when you put it higher than the vision of Christ, it's really weird, but it destroys the whole system. The whole kit and caboodle begins to crumble, and yet it's important, but it's subservient. It's like sticking the jester on the throne. It's like, hey, the jester has his role, but it's not to be the king. Some people could be offended that I call it correct doctrine, the jester. But uh, that probably wasn't the best choice of uh, terms, but uh, maybe it'll do someone good in here. (laughs) We see spiritual gifts high and lifted up. But the church is not functioning as it ought to function. Are they right? Yes. We need to be functioning with our spiritual gifts. Are they correct? Yes. But not as a replacement king. You see, if we lose Jesus and we end up putting the functionality of the church as higher... And people craving that we need to function, 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 as opposed to what leads us to function. Let's not lose the vision. We see the unity of the body high and lifted up. We must be one. Are they right? Yes. Every single thing I'm bringing up is actually really good and important. But they are outflows. They flow out of the true vision. You must have Jesus in his rightful place. We see freedom of worship high and lifted up. I'm so frustrated with the body they're, they don't know what they're worshiping, so they're, they're dead. They need to raise their hands. They need to dance. They need to be free in worship. Are they right? Oh, yeah. You see, when, when I watch the Broncos and I see them score a, a game-winning touchdown or game-winning uh, field goal, you don't need to teach me how to dance. I, when I was young, I would just yell, scream, high-five, hug, hug people I didn't even know. What are we missing in Christianity. We're not missing the freedom of worship as much as we're missing the vision. Because when you see the vision, it's amazing how it makes you limber. When you see the vision, it puts you prostrate. You see, we need to see the vision, and that will loosen us up a bit. We see divine healing high and lifted up. You see, God heals. But churches throughout the ages have stuck the wrong thing up top. God is only interested in healing. Actually, healing is a derivative of his presence when he is placed in the rightful position, these things flow out. We see God's next great work high and lifted up. We're anticipating God doing something. Does God want to do something? Yes. He wants to shake the nations. But when we make our focus the next great work instead of the one who will do the work, we are once again being distracted. That's a derivative of the church once again gaining the true vision. So the great... Revival counterfeit, looking for the wrong thing to come. This happens all the time, and the word revival is actually a dangerous word today because of it. Because you have an entire sector of Christianity that is looking for revival, which means something different than what historic revival has always meant. So James 5 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's a coming of the Lord. It's, it's a capital C coming, which is in the clouds, He'll come and take us home to be with Him, but there's also a little small C, lowercase C comings. Right now, you need the coming of the Lord in your life. Maybe you have drought, in your soul, in your family life, and you need rain. Well, guess what? You hold on to God, you see the vision, you cling to Him, He's going to come. The coming of the Lord, when we say he will come soon, what exactly is it that we are waiting for? So I'm going to give you seven possible options. Note, I'm sure there are plenty more that could be added. The crazy and the bizarre. Some people are waiting for crazy and bizarre things, okay? And, and there's weird stuff that have, has happened in the church, okay? you got people barking like dogs, roaring like lions, slithering like snakes. And that is actually what people are looking for. God, do your next great work, and may we slither like snakes. It's like, whoa. Okay, now that is getting weird. All right? Most of these are totally normal, but that's weird, okay? This is another, we can call this a counterfeit. It's not necessarily a counterfeit, though, because a tingle, if you guys know what I mean by that, where you actually have a warmth, you have a tingle up your spine in the presence of God. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against it. I've had it many times, by the way, where suddenly I'm just singing a song and, whoa, I start weeping. And it's like, well, I didn't do anything. Well, I like that, and I want to recreate that. Okay, you follow me? And so what we're doing is we oftentimes, our sense of revival is the tingle. And that's, again, a dangerous misplacement. Now, this is actually good stuff that I'm I'm mentioning now. Okay, the crazy and the bizarre, you can remove it from the list if it helps you. But the outward turn, you can always tell when revival has struck the church is because people start thinking about other people. People start giving of their resources. People start walking on the road and coming up to people and say, I need to share something with you. You see, they turn outward the return of spiritual giftings and power. All throughout history, when the Spirit of God moves afresh upon the body, things happen. Now that makes certain conservatives very uncomfortable. It's like, wait what kinds of things happen? <laughs> you can study historic Christianity, you'd find out what sort of things happen. And it can be odd. It's not going to be weird, like crazy and bizarre, slithering like snake stuff. Okay, that, that just falls into a totally different category. But... It is going to reveal that god is in control of his church and it is going to humble people so return of spiritual giftings and power number five fervent and effectual praying will commence this always happens when reviving is coming to the church people begin to pray and they begin to pray fervently boldly they begin to pray for souls they begin to pray for governments they begin to pray that things alter in the course of nations number six the capital C. This is another, it's just an option of what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to come, to return for us. And, you know, that is definitely a reasonable thing to be going after. And so here's what I want to replace all of this with, even though every single thing except for the crazy and the bizarre is something I, I, I would say, yeah, that, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, that would happen. Yes, 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 is option number seven, Jesus. You see, The reason all of those things even matter is because we are seeing something great. And that is the authentic vision of Jesus. We will encounter Jesus afresh, or maybe for the very first time, we will really see him. The blur will be removed. We will see him high and lifted up. We will be transfixed by his glory. We will be awed by his grand love. We will be thunderstruck by his victory on the cross. We will be thoroughly amazed by the absoluteness of his triumph and every little thing that might threaten to block, hinder, or slow his triumphal entry into our inner sanctuary, to take his seat of authority, we will hastily, zealously, and passionately bulldoze out of the way, lest anything might rob from what we are beholding. Our lives will become singular in their focus. The Holy Spirit will have us, and the Holy Spirit will show us more and more and more of Jesus. The end zone. Where should we head as the church? So as the church, we need to know what we're living for. We need to know what the end zone is. If you're a football team, I shared this with the students this week, then you need to know where your end zone is, and you need to know how to get this ball into it, and you need to know that there's 11 players on the other side of the line that are big, mean, that want to stop you from getting there. Many of us as Christians are all surprised by that. We don't even know about the the football, let alone the end zone, let alone that there's a whole bunch of, Bad guys that are trying to stop us. It makes it fun when you begin to recognize what it is and you recognize that you have a coach on the side and you have a quarterback uh, that know how to get this thing done. And the football being the glory of Jesus Christ. And why he gives us the job of carrying this thing, I mean, uh, that's a little mystifying. He could do it so much better than we do. And yet he's chosen weak things to reveal his glory. So we need to know the end zone. And I'm going to say the end zone for us as a church is Isaiah 6. We need to see the Lord. We need to live out of that vision. We need to run with that vision and share it with all the world. We must all become woe-logoed. The Apostle Paul was woe-logoed. But what things were gained to me, these these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So I've gone through with the advanced students this week four steps, including this one now, to changing the world. The patient farmer. If you want revival in your life, it's the laws of farming. You do what a farmer ought to do. If you want to get a crop of corn, what do you do? Well, in the spring, you till, you plant, you water, you weed, you water, you weed, you water, you weed, you wait, 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 and you'll get it. The same is true in the kingdom of heaven. You heed the laws of the farmer. God has given you a soul, and he tells you exactly what to do with it. And if you will heed that, you will gain a harvest. The caramelized intercessor, that's not caramel like uh, the candy. That's caramel like Mount Carmel. So, caramelized intercessor, bend those knees and pray, pray, pray until the rain comes. So, on Mount Carmel, you see the proving of Elijah, where Elijah knows that rain is coming, he hears it. So, it's sort of like me saying, I see the cross, or me saying something, I know God wants to do something here. How do I know that? I'm hearing the sound of an abundance of rain, so what do I do? I bend my knees, plant my head between my knees, and I pray, and I pray. And I don't care if the sky is still blank without clouds. I pray, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray until a cloud the size of a man's fist forms. And then I'm like, it's done. It takes as much faith to get up at that moment and say, the rains are coming, as it did to pray to see that cloud form. And sure enough, the rain is coming. Three, the zealous bond slave. Yield your body. Allow the Holy Spirit to have every last inch of what Christ has purchased. For the woe Goad missionary, the revived soul, humbled, broken, forgiven, ready, and commissioned to go. Those four things lead to a change of your life and a change of the world around you. We'll finish with this quote. We want to be very simple in this matter of revival. Revival is just the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. We complicate it and we try and make it something different than that. And we miss the very simple essence of what it is. It's Jesus. It's more of Jesus. More of Jesus in the church, more of Jesus in your life, more of Jesus in your understanding. When you see Jesus, you say, woe. And when you see Jesus, you understand the low. And when you see Jesus and you understand the woe and the low, you will be transformed. There is no arm twisting involved. You will say, here am I. Send me. Use me, take me, have me. Father, I pray that you would give us supernatural eyes to see. May we see what we cannot see with our natural eyes. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that even right now, those of us that are hearing this and being stirred by this would see the cross. We would see the resurrected Christ. We would see the one one seated at the right hand of majesty. We would see his wounds, his shed blood for us. We would see his triumph over the grave. We would see his authoritative position, that he is king of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord, we bend our knee before you. And we stand in awe, wonder at who you are. It's in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com.